Hello, hello, welcome to episode two of season four of SG Explained. We are coming off a very edgy episode on prostitution. <laughs> We're going to take it very simple today with chewing gum. But before we jump into it, Elliot, how have you been? Hey, man, what's up, guys? I'm doing, I'm doing good, dude. It's, uh, it's been a bit of a long week, but Jeremy, I'm always excited to be here on a, on a beautiful weekend morning, just chilling out with you, Rove. And uh, today's episode is going to be... <laughs> I wouldn't say it's not edgy either. It's something which kind of is also in its moral gray areas. So. Yeah, why does the law get to extend the chewing gum? Yeah, exactly. We all know someone who like brings chewing gum in and just it's very hush hush about it. You know, it kind of skirts the law a little bit here and there. Yeah, season four is definitely off to a great start. I mean, just before we get into the episode, I thought to also acknowledge that, you know, we are one week away from dining in reopening. I mean, the government just announced that things are going to slowly open up. We're going to get to have groups of five pretty soon. And I, I'm looking forward to going back to the gym. I think I've definitely been losing some of that muscle mass. Hey, man, you go on ahead. I'll be uh, <laughs> heading out to the restaurants. Been really looking forward to go back to a sushi conveyor belt, uh, Genki oh, Sushi. Nice. Chewing gum has been associated with Singapore for the longest time, especially when it comes to tourists and foreigners thinking about what it's like to live in this country or visit this country. And, you know, I had a couple of friends visit me pre-COVID and one of the questions they asked me was, what should I make sure I don't have in my luggage? And I was I was pretty straightforward. I said, simple stuff, you know, just don't bring all the stuff that you normally wouldn't bring on a plane. And they were like, no, no, no. Like, can I bring gum? Because, you know, I like to chew gum. And I was like, wow, this is a very interesting question. I really don't know what's the answer, right? I think if you bring like 20 packs, I feel like the government would say something. You know, what if you bring one pack? What's the what's the gray area? So maybe we'll answer that question today. It's that funny thing that we get typecasted as, as that country that does not allow chewing gum. Let's jump in. So the chewing gum sales ban in Singapore has been enforced since 1992. Since 2004, an exception has existed for therapeutic, dental, and nicotine chewing gum, which can be bought from a doctor or a registered pharmacist. It's currently not illegal to chew gum. In Singapore, meaning that if you have it and you chew it, that's fine. But if you manufacture, import it or sell it, then that's illegal. So just to maybe give us some definitions, you know, in case people don't know what chewing gum is, in case you're hearing this and, you know, maybe because you've been in Singapore, you're like, what is this? Chewing gum is a soft, cohesive substance designed to be chewed without being swallowed. Modern chewing gum is composed of gum base, sweeteners, softeners, plasticizers, flavors, colors, and typically a hard or powdered polyol coating. Its texture is reminiscent of rubber because of the physical chemical properties of its polymer, plasticizer, and resin components, which basically, long story short, makes it elastic, plastic, sticky, chewy, uh, and that's what we know as chewing gum. There's a reason why it was banned, but actually the journey to getting it banned was not that straightforward. It actually took us some time. It started all the way back in the 1980s when there was a lot of complaints already happening. And Yeah, so in his memoirs, Lee Kuan Yew actually said that in 1983, when he was Prime Minister of Singapore, a proposal for the ban was brought to him by Tae Cheng Wan, you know, then Minister for National Development. 
So what's funny was that chewing gum was causing maintenance problems in like high-rise public housing apartments with vandals disposing of spent gum in like mailboxes. They put it inside the keyholes and uh, they even place it on the lift buttons. So there was a lot of chewing gum left on the floor, you know, stairways, pavements in a lot of public areas. And this increased the cost of cleaning and damaged cleaning equipment. Gum stuck on the seats of public buses was also considered a problem. However, uh, actually, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew, I thought that the ban would be too drastic in his, his own quotes. Minister of Culture, S. Dana Balan also led an effort against chewing gums, citing that HDB spends $150,000 a year to clean up all this gum. Which is a lot for that time, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, $150,000 in the 1980s is like, is equivalent to a much higher sum if we were to put it in modern day context, right? The Singapore Broadcasting Corporation was told not to show any commercials, right, of chewing gum and HDB sent letters to shops asking them to avoid selling chewing gum. There was little to no compliance to shop owners as they feared customers would just go to some other shop. La. I mean, obviously, right, if I don't sell but someone else sells, why Why would I even care? Instead, you know, they said, if you want to outlaw this, just put a permanent ban on it across the board. Elliot, I'm not sure if you've seen the effects of chewing gum in other countries because I think by the time the ban came in, I was already born and so I never saw a Singapore, you know, with chewing gum. But basically when I was in London or in parts of the US you would see these dark spots on the floor or you'd I remember being very annoyed sometimes if I'd sit on the train or bus and then you put your hand down and you're like ah like that's gum ah it's so disgusting yeah 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 Absolutely, absolutely. I like underneath like the train seats, you know, uh, in London, it's, it's just the same experience, dude. I was actually in London underground, right? And then like you just put your hand under your seat. In Singapore, I'm very used to like, holding my hand under my seat, like just, you know, like a kid just rocking back and forth. And then you just touch it there. It's like, oh my gosh, there's gum here. Or you're walking on the, on the pavement and then there's like, and it's just stuck to your shoe. Yeah, it can be a menace, no doubt. Personally, when we talk about this topic, right, I'm very glad that we have it as a ban. Yeah, the reason why there wasn't a ban was because, you know, this was really in the public nuisance category of things. The, the government was basically saying, like, you know, for public nuisance stuff, a ban sounds very drastic. But what happened was that in 1987, Singapore rolled out the MRT, the Mass Rapid Transit. And this was a $5 billion local railway project, right? And we all know it today. We ride it practically everywhere we go. And it was the largest public project ever implemented in Singapore. You have to think this is developing Singapore, right? We are on our way to a first world in infrastructure and we've spent so much time consulting designing taking all the you know the feasibility studies and what happened was that the same vandals who were placing chewing gum all over the place they started sticking chewing gum on the door sensors of mrt trains preventing doors from functioning properly and causing disruption to train services and you know if you watch some of the reports basically wow. What was happening was that the train doors back then, they were quite advanced for the time, but rudimentary compared to now. And they would either detect if the door was closed or open, right? And with gum, you can never detect it to be closed. And so the, the door would just keep trying to, to close on itself and would never be able to, and the trains got stuck. And these incidents were costly, even though they were rare and culprits were difficult to apprehend. In fact, if you go and look at some of the old newspapers, you'll see that they would have like whole headlines saying, 
chewing gum vandal you know strikes again it's almost like a like a super villain saga right and <laughs> in january 1992 gochok tong who had just taken over as prime minister said enough's enough let's ban chewing gum there were a couple of laws that basically helped to do this there was the restriction on the manufacture of chewing gum which was enacted in the control of manufacture act which also governs the restriction of you know the manufacturing of certain alcohol and tobacco products the sale of food act was also updated to reflect the ban of sales of chewing gum and there was also the regulation of import and export chewing gum which basically banned the import of chewing gum so all of these things came together to basically say Singapore is chewing gum free. You basically can't import, sell, or manufacture chewing gum. And we're going to stop these vandals at the source. Got to take care of like the shiny new MRT toy that we have. I, I guess that it's a smart move. If you ask me, I think it's a very smart move. The police started enforcing stricter measures for, for punishment of anyone who disturbed the public areas with chewing gum leftovers and spitting. The imports of all kinds of chewing gum ceased immediately. A minor window remained in place for local stores to sell whatever remaining stock they had left you know it felt very bad if you were like one of those mama shop owners and you had chewing gum and you just bought your next shipment it would it would really suck for you i think it was just widespreadly sold like wherever you see sweets counters are like that's where chewing gum would be Mm -hmm. so they kind of like just left up this one little window for them to you know clear stock and after that complete ban across the nation. When it was first introduced, I think the ban caused a lot of controversy and what what some would call open defiance. Some people like took the trouble of traveling to like JB in Malaysia to purchase chewing gum uh, and offenders were publicly named and shamed by the government to serve as this, you know, sort of like a send them a message to other would-be smugglers. Uh, no black market for chewing gum in Singapore ever emerged, though some Singaporeans occasionally, you know, still manage to smuggle some chewing gum from uh, Johor Bahru for their own consumption. I mean, okay, not going to lie, government don't come at me, but I, you know, if I go and visit Malaysia, I usually buy like a small pack for myself to chew at the, at the office, right? But, you know, in the mid-1990s, I think Singapore's law began to receive more press coverage. This is when our reputation for being the, the anti-chewing gum nation came into play. Uh, the US media paid a lot of attention to the case of Michael P. Fay, this American teenager a sentence in 1994 to caning in Singapore for vandalism. Uh, okay, this one was not about chewing gum, okay? Just to be very clear, this one was about spray painting, you know, the like, graffiti art. This kind of had a cascading effect because they also drew attention to some of Singapore's other laws because of this, including the mandatory flushing of public toilets rule, which I'm glad we have. Uh, a confused <laughs> reporting about these issues led to the myth that the use of imp- or importation of chewing gum itself is punishable with caning. It will try to conflate the laws and hence there is this very police state identity that we have overseas or the reputation. If you think about it, Singapore's clean and green reputation, the road to it was definitely not clean <laughs> necessarily. Mm, right? No, of course not. Yeah, no. A lot of people had to be named and shamed as they said there was you know some adaptation in the, in the domestic sector but especially those who were starting to look at Singapore you have to remember ni- mid 1990s Singapore was just starting to get its name on the map when people were coming in and they were breaking our laws Singapore had to also take a stand and say no like in our country you have to follow our rules and clean and green is the name of the game right so if you break that rule 
we're going to have to give you the same punishment as anyone else. What was funny was, I think, the conflation of, like, consequences. It was like, oh, man, this guy public vandalized, he spray-painted, uh, let's give him a caning. And then they're like, yeah, you see, people get caned for, like, chewing gum. Or not flushing your toilet. Or not flushing your toilets, you know. <laughs> it is a hilarious sort of, like, notion to have. La. So, uh, Tom Plate in his book, uh, Giants of Asia, Conversations with Lee Kuan Yew, I think he has a very interesting quote regarding this whole situation, right? So uh, he says, for many years as a visiting columnist, I too chewed over the puzzle of the chewing gum conundrum, but came to understand that the tendency to stick the remains of the gum in every which place was viewed by the authorities as a palpable attack on Singapore's ambition to be perfect. So echoing exactly what you said just now about like being clean and green, this was not just about let's ban uh, gum outright, you know? It, it's, it wasn't about gum per se, but it was like living up to this higher ideal of what Singapore could be like. And as an emerging name in the international stage, Probably a good move on our part. Lah. So it continues to go. That is, it was anti-utopian. It was gumming up the works. As far as Lee Kuan Yew and his teams were concerned, the yucky habit, commonplace in the old days, was a palpable enemy of progress. The way to edge forward towards utopia was simple. Simply outlaw chewing gum. This Tom Play likes to use the word palpable. Lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this, this Tom Play guy reminds me of someone in university, right? He just throws out all the four or five syllable words and then like just make it very simple. <laughs> I'm looking at you, every fellow major that I went to school with. <laughs> when a BBC reporter suggested that such draconian laws would stifle the people's creativity, uh, Lee Kuan Yew actually responded by saying putting chewing gum on our subway train doors so they don't open I don't call that creativity I call that mischief making if you can't think because you can't chew try a banana <laughs> I, my favourite quotable quote if I read those words in, in day-to-day life it would sound like a comedic, comedic joke you know? yeah what, what a champion what a champion and the headlines it caused like there were I remember there were uh, reading that there were tons of newspaper articles that were like saying don't chew gum try a banana <laughs> you know it's try like basically that was the headline <laughs> okay so we're gonna go take a short break we set the foundations of you know, the initial ban of chewing gum but there's a lot more to this story still there is a bit of a turnaround and of course as always we'll top up with our reflections at the end of the episode so we'll see you in just a bit We're glad you're listening to this episode and are part of the FG Explainers community. You're special because you're part of a group of people who are joining us to understand the Singaporean identity through a wide variety of topics. Elliot and I do this completely out of passion, but we do incur costs to use software, equipment, and not to mention the time spent. We're hoping that you may consider supporting the FG Explain effort in one of two ways. If you click on the podcast description of the podcast you're listening to, you'll see a link that says support this podcast with a link to anchor.fm slash sg dash explain slash support. A contribution as small as 99 cents when added up by all our community members can go a long way for us. The second way is that if you want more bonus content for your buck, we've launched an email newsletter 
That's right. All the content that doesn't make it to the podcast, including our own perspectives, videos, and pictures, as well as links to more resources can be found in these email digests that provide compact information for your on-the-go reading. For five US dollars a month, basically the cost of a bubble tea, through Substack, you can get a digest a week with great content. The internet has allowed you, the consumer, to directly express your support to creators like us without needing to depend on brand sponsors too much. We hope you can give whatever you feel comfortable with. Here at SG Explained, Elliot and I are committed to getting great guests, conducting thorough research, and bringing you quality explainers on all things Singaporean. Thank you for being part of our community. All right, we're back from the break. So as we all know, right now, there is a category of gum that is still allowed to be imported in Singapore or even manufactured in Singapore. And that is gum that is used for therapeutic or dental purposes. But the reason why we even got to this stage wasn't because there was some level of enlightenment somewhere. Actually, it was to do with the U.S.-Singapore Free Trade Agreement. So in 1999, United States President Bill Clinton and Singapore Prime Minister Go Chok Tong agreed to initiate talks between two countries for a bilateral free trade agreement. The talks later continued under the new administration of President George W. Bush. The Chicago-based Wrigley Jr. Company enlisted the help of a Washington, D.C. lobbyist and Illinois Congressman Phil Crane, then chairman of the United States House Ways and Means Subcommittee on Trade, to get chewing gum on the agenda of the U.S.-Singapore Free Trade Agreement. I did my college in Chicago, and Wrigley is huge in Chicago, right? They have a huge building. It's a very iconic part of the city. And so... I could definitely imagine Wrigley like trying to lean in and exert as much influence as possible. This caused a dilemma for the Singapore government because while you know internally recognized the health benefits of certain gums, such as the brand of sugar-free gum that continues calcium lactate to strengthen tooth enamel, sale of this newly categorized medicinal gum would be some level of concession. And the reason why this is important is because Singapore was basically the first country in Asia to be signing a free trade agreement with the U.S., right? So this was a big deal. If Singapore got it right, it would be a milestone, not just for Singapore, but for Asia. Uh, eventually, sale of this newly categorized medicinal gum was allowed, providing it was sold by a dentist or pharmacist who must keep a record of the names of buyers. It's like registering? Yeah. So there were stories of basically pharmacists complaining like look i got tons of things to do and when people are coming to buy chewing gum why must i be taking down their names it's like buying a gun in the u.s you know <laughs> like you, you gotta write down in a registry that's like the old 1940s style of like keeping a ledger of people exactly. who have purchased something slightly contraband and i guess the idea was that if uh, you know if a vandalism happened you could basically use these records to pinpoint who could that be, right? But at the same time, can you imagine like all these ledgers across, you know, the various dentists and pharmacists in Singapore? That's going to be quite an effort. In May 2003, the US-Singapore FTA was signed and the ban was revised. Crane, who was the lobbyist that we were talking about, said that the negotiations were tough. Some found it surprising that Wrigley had fought hard on this battle, given the small size of Singapore's chewing gum market. But the company said it was worth it. Christopher Perrill, who is Wrigley's senior director of corporate communications, said there's many examples 
in our history of things that may not have been financially sensible in the short term, but it was the right thing to do in a philosophical or long-term sense. And this is a quite a U.S. way of thinking, right? Because in Singapore, we're very pragmatic. It's all about what works and what is needed to, for things to work. But in the U.S., you know, there's a bit more of a philosophical angle, a bit more of a values angle, although it could be argued that that's also to, you know, serve certain agendas as well. It's very much like this is what we stand for. Absolutely. So Wrigley was planning a print and billboard marketing campaign to reacquaint Singapore with the gum and to tell them what they have to do to get it. And now that the ban is lifted, basically Wrigley was like, all right, let's try to get as many people to get onto it. But the Health Sciences Authority basically said that all ads for medical products must be approved by them. And in-store ads were then restricted to the pharmacist counter. Many of the ads in Wrigley's campaign show large graphs that illustrate how chewing more Orbit gum will improve oral health over time. And beyond the calcium lactate, a substance Wrigley claims can help remineralize tooth enamel, ads for Orbit White, another Wrigley product approved in Singapore, play up how its chief ingredient, sodium hexametaphosphate, helps whiten teeth. It's not about fun. It's not about flavor. It's going to be more about the benefits, Mr. Perrault said. Wrigley was also making a big marketing push aimed at dentists. In addition to free samples dentists could give to their patients, Wrigley planned to pump up its contributions to the World Dental Federation, which then promised to encourage its Singapore members to sell Orbit in their clinics. It's very unusual, concedes Chu Tek Chuan, head of the World Dental Federation Singapore branch and chairman of the association's Global Education Committee. I don't think dentists in other countries sell gum. But basically, Wrigley was like, we're going to go all out. We're going to prove that this was the right move. This was how dental gum and therapeutic gum eventually made its way back into Singapore. And the ban essentially doesn't apply for this category of gums, which is why you can see them sometimes in supermarkets and pharmacies. And this is super interesting, right? It's a big company, really. I wouldn't say strong arming, but truly leveraging on whatever angle you can get in to sell more product. <laughs> Maybe it's because I, I think of capitalism in a really strange way. But like when I see this, it's like, it's not really a philosophical play. If- I don't think so too. Basically, because of Singapore's desire to, to land that free trade agreement, they were willing to make some concessions. And it speaks to Singapore's pragmatism, don't you think? It's like... Yeah, absolutely. This whole story reeks of pragmatism. It's like chewing gum wasn't really a problem until we started destroying or like vandalizing our shiny new MRT. It was pretty much tolerated for a long time. Even Lee Kuan Yew was like, yeah, this is fine. But the moment we had trains uh, and, you know, PM Go Chok Tong came in and said like, no, all right, I'm not, I'm not taking a risk on this whole new infrastructure that we just built. Pragmatism would dictate, let's just outright ban it. You know, that, that made a lot of sense. It really just speaks to, to the heart of who we are. This has been some time now and chewing gum isn't really the biggest deal in Singapore. We care a lot more about other stuff. And of course, with COVID, it's definitely not the biggest deal anymore. So while it's still illegal to import or manufacture gum without the appropriate licenses or approvals what's interesting is that you know going back to that first question we asked is it legal for you to bring gum of your own right now the law is very clear it it basically says no importation of gum but 
practically, you know, and this is just purely based on stories. So it's not our recommendation of what to do, right? But based on stories that we've seen, we know that, you know, if you bring like one or two packs for your own personal consumption, and, and that's what we've seen with some of our friends, no one catches you. No one like chases you down. There's no like sniffing dog trying to find chewing gum. We're not raiding your house for that one pack of gum. You know what I'm saying? And it's basically because it's for personal consumption, right? You're not trying to proliferate gum and you're not trying to, to import gum in the way that a, a mass importer would. You are allowed to chew gum once you're in the country, but exactly what you do besides chewing gum, if you become a vandal, etc., then that's when the law will start coming against you. We don't want it to become a public nuisance or like a public disorder. You know, wrap it up in its wrapper, throw it in the bin. I'm sure very few people, even even on the streets, would bat too much of an eyelid here. I, for one, am very glad we went through this story today. Uh, just because, to be very honest, Rubik, before this, I didn't really understand like what, what were the events that led up to chewing gums ban. And surprised to even find out that Lee Kuan Yew was actually like, no, we're, we're cool. He was like, that's not bad. It's, like, it's a bit too drastic. At the beginning. In the beginning. At the beginning, yeah. Let's go chew bananas. Dude. It reinforces just what everything I love about Singapore, that we are very hard on like certain things, but for usually very pragmatic reasons. And when there's an upside to like, you know, bending it a little bit, we go like, okay, <laughs> like sure. In some ways it adds texture, it adds color to our identity, right? Like imagine if we were so boring that we didn't have such unique laws. We, we kind of just took the template of any other country in the world. So in some ways, Singapore was bold, it was courageous. And you know what? When you go and Google this, you'll find out that actually some cities in China, uh, some cities in the UK, they've actually tried to copy our chewing gum ban. So Singapore was a leader in some ways because they recognized that you know maybe the overall cost of allowing chewing gum in a city, in a very dense packed place, was not really worth it. And they, they they took the what you would call a courageous step to basically block you know the proliferation of chewing gums and vandalism etc. Although on the other hand, you can take think of it as basically a blocking of personal freedoms, right? So it's definitely two sides of the coin. I think you could you could look at it either way. But we live in a country that favors pragmatism, favors a bit more of the clean and green overview of things rather than than anything else. And so we live in that reality. That brings us to the end of this week's episode so thanks for sharing this time with us on your on your little listen uh, we're only in episode two there's still so much more we have to give let us know your thoughts on chewing gum i uh, would love to hear uh, what, what what your stance is it's 2021 guys many years after uh, all these lobbyists uh, free trade agreements uh, and living in a new world so let us know your thoughts on uh, chewing gum in this day and age and if you have any other ideas for future episodes things you want us to talk about do some research on more than happy to hear your suggestions on that note my name is Rovek my name is Elliot and we'll catch you in the next